we're starting a brand new message series today called The Grace Truth Tension. The Grace Truth Tension. And I have a, I want to tell you first about a little little thing I do once a month, uh, roughly once a month. Um, I go and I see a chiropractor. In fact, is Dr. Holly here today? She's, uh, she's off at 11 o'clock. So uh, my, my chiropractor attends Anderson Hills, and I like her very much because when I see Dr. Holly, I go in and I've got some pain going on, usually in my neck. That's where I get it. I have a couple old sports injuries and a bunch of new stupidity injuries. <laughs> That's how I get them nowadays, just be honest. And so she helps a lot because I go in and I've got this tension going on, right? And, and she, I'll lay back on the table and she'll kind of have my head in her hands. She kind of moves around a little bit, right? Feels kind of good, right? But oftentimes there's this moment where she does something that I wouldn't let any other human on the planet do. She takes my neck and she's like, like that, which is disturbing, right? And it actually, it kind of hurts a bit, to be honest. I mean, not extreme pain, but it hurts a bit. But it's interesting because those injuries that I had, they hurt a lot, right? And that's a bad hurt. That's a hurt I don't want. Where what Dr. Holly does in my life, it's a good hurt. Because that hurt helps me get back in line, right? That hurt helps get me back in line the way that God created me to be. And I pray that during this series that we may experience a bit of that ourselves, there may be times when we look at God's grace, God's truth, this tension between these two things. There may be times we say, ouch, that, yeah, that hurt a bit, but that hurt real good. That helped get me to where I needed to be. Because that's what God's word does in my life all the time. Whenever I read it, it says there's that putting me back the way that I was created to be. In the, book of, uh, well, this, in the book of John, it talks about Jesus. And I love the way that John starts off because it's different than the other Gospels. John doesn't start with uh, the, the nice birth story that we love to tell at Christmas. He goes all the way back, like creation. And he identifies Jesus as being right there in creation. He refers to him as the Word. And it says this, in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. Then it skips down a few. The Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Verse 17, for the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Okay, so this is saying that, that God sends Jesus down from heaven, right? Another translation says that he moved into our neighborhood, right? Jesus comes down to this earth. And he does it because we've got a problem as humans. We sin. I sin. You sin. We all sin. Okay? It's, it's part of being human. We mess up. We have fallen short of God's glory. And the fact is we couldn't fix that problem on our own. It's too big of a problem for us to be able to, to fix, to resolve on our own because we're sinners. We, we can't pay the price for that because the Bible's real clear that sin leads to death. So what God did, he sent Jesus down, and Jesus came and he lived the perfect life. Think about that. 33 years, and he never sinned. Not once. Not one time. He, so God comes down, he lives the perfect life, and, and as it says there, the law came through Moses. 
Well, the law is convicting to all of us because we mess it up. We don't follow the law perfectly. Jesus, on the other hand, he comes, he lives it out perfectly. He himself is the fulfillment of the law. He fulfills it himself, and then he gives his life on the cross. He dies for us. He takes that death that should have been mine, and he dies. He goes to the cross with sins that were mine, yours, all of the world's, and he gives his life for you and for me. We owed the debt, but he paid the price. That's grace right there. So you see, Jesus is the perfect, the full embodiment of grace and truth. He lives out the law perfectly. He obeys the truth perfectly. But he also gives his life as a free act of grace. And that's why John says that when Jesus came, he was full of grace and truth. That's great with Jesus, but we often struggle, don't we? Keeping that grace-truth thing in tension is a lot tougher for us as people, okay? Uh, we, I, I was listening to Pastor Andy Stanley, and he said this. He said, um, I like the verses about truth when I'm telling other people what to do. I like the verses about grace when it's about me. <laughs> I think we've all got a bit of that in us, right? Truth for those who we disagree with. Truth for those we're talking to. But give me some grace, right? I mean, I'm trying here, right? Come on, I'm trying. Cut, cut me some slack. Give me, give me some grace. But church, we've got to live, if we want to love like Jesus, it's not grace or truth. It's grace and truth. So we've got to live in the midst of these, this, this tension of grace and truth. Because Jesus' love was, it was often messy. I mean, it, it made people uncomfortable. Jesus got in trouble with the religious leaders for some of the people he loved. He loved people who they considered to be sinners, outcasts, kind of people you don't associate with, right? Jesus didn't see it that way at all. For he came for everybody. There, there, there's no outcast with Jesus. He loves everybody, right? So that was kind of messy in some ways. But also, Jesus said a lot of tough things. He said a lot of hard truths. Some of them were directed at the religious leaders, but, but not all of them. So, so Jesus, his, it, it, it's challenging. His love is challenging. Last weekend we heard a great sermon about this, this parable, right, Jesus tells. And it seemed, his love seemed completely unfair even. If you missed it, check it out online. You'll see how challenging Jesus' love can be sometimes. So for us, when we see a tension we want to remove it, right? That's kind of our default as, as fixers. When we see a tension, we're like, ooh, I could solve this, right? Here's exactly how it works, right? That's our default setting. But, but we can't do that with this because if you remove the tension, you remove something vitally important here, okay? If you eliminate the grace-truth tension, friend, you eliminate Jesus, because he himself is full of grace and truth. That's how John describes him. So we've got to uphold this kind of thing in our lives. It's hard for us to do that, though. Because we tend to look at some things or people or whatever with grace. And other things we just want truth for them. Namely, the people that we tend to disagree with. Just to illustrate this, I, I, I put together a few pictures here. Not a ton, but just a few and these are some pictures of things that, that, that people argue about nowadays in our world, okay? So they're intentional, that's, that's intentional. 
And as, I, as we show these, a couple things. First of all, um, we set them to some Mozart to help lower your blood pressure a little. So just chill out. It's going to be okay, right? But I mean this seriously, please. As these images are shown, I don't want to hear any cheering. I don't want to hear any jeering, okay? We're not doing this to divide our congregation and that kind of stuff. It's not what we're here for, okay? I mean that. I'm serious. What I want is I want for you to reflect on how you feel as you see some of these things because you're probably going to get a bit of a range of feels. Let's check this out. showing my bias because I gave double time to the Bengals as anything else you might notice so I was trying to help you feel good here but seriously we all probably got some feels around some of those things maybe a little mad sad glad or scared going on with with some of those things and the fact because we're we're people we we live in a, a divided world and if we're like most of the world we have a lot of grace towards some of those things. In fact, we may bend over backwards to explain and blah, 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 some of these things. And we may have others that we have a whole lot of truth for. I'm going to tell you exactly why they're wrong. And I got 15 points I want for you to hear today, right? You know, that I learned on my favorite news station last night, right? We, this is the world that we live in. And, and please don't misunderstand. I'm, I'm not saying you can't disagree with people. Of course, we can. We should, in fact. We, we should look at this world through the lens of our faith because as followers of Jesus, our faith is, is central. And I think a lot of times, a lot of times the problem that we have is for many of us, we spend more time, just look at your clock, we spend more time listening to our favorite political pundits than we do reading the Word of God. Is it any shock? Is it any shock that we struggle with this grace-truth tension, that we tr- tend to find ourselves struggling there? I mean, is, how did we get to the place where partisan politics became more important to us than Jesus? God forgive us. That's, that's, not, that's not what we're here for. And again, I'm not saying that you can't disagree. You can and, and you should. But maybe one test is, can you, can you disagree with someone when you, when you do so? Can you explain their position to them in a way that they would say, yeah, that's, that's what I believe, and then explain lovingly what you believe? Because for many of us, we, we can't even do that, that we say, oh, yeah, I'll tell you your position. <laughs> You're wrong because blah, 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 blah. And they're like, no, that's not even what I believe or say, right? That's, or that's not my intentions. We, we can't even communicate it well. Can, can you even begin just by doing that? We're called to be a people who live in this truth and grace tension. Let's take one example here. Take sex, for example, right? Culture says that you can have sex with whoever you want as long as it's consensual. That's kind of the general feel that our culture has today. I know not everybody believes that, but that's, uh, I think that's kind of a prevailing uh, belief. It's really broad, and, and it leads to a lot of problems. Because God is the, the author of sex, right? He's the creator, and God has 
God, God's goal is not to ruin all of your fun in life, but God, as the creator of this, actually understands what it's created for and how it's best carried out, right? So if we live just in culture's way, we're going to have a lot of painful consequences. When, when, when you just live in that way, there's a lot of brokenness. There's broken hearts. There's broken families. There's broken marriages. There's STDs. There's pregnancies that we aren't ready for. There's all these kinds of things. And we see why God says these, these kinds of things. Um, the Bible is, is different, of course, than culture. The Bible challenges culture on this, teaches God's truth about sexuality, and it's challenging. If you've read the Bible on sexuality, you know that it is really challenging. In fact, I bet you, I bet you it probably makes probably any adult in this room squirm a little bit, right? You know, because the Bible says that sex is created to be enjoyed in the context of marriage. The Bible speaks against adultery. It speaks against same-sex sexual activity. It speaks against uh, sex before marriage. It even talks about divorce, right? And it gives a very limited number of reasons why divorce can happen. Um, and it says, well, Jesus took it even to a higher level. Jesus says, if you look at somebody who's not your spouse with lust in your heart, you're committing adultery with them in your heart, I would ask for a show of hands if any of us are still standing, but that would be a little embarrassing, I think, right? This is tough stuff. This is countercultural stuff. This is, you see the great chasm there. And we struggle sometimes as a church with how do we communicate this to the world? So look at one really, just really obvious and relevant example. We look at, at, at Christians' response uh, to the pride movement, right? And I see probably kind of two, ten, two extremes that give me concern. On the one hand, I see the church sometimes just embracing this all and saying, you know, it's, it's no big deal. We're, we're not going to worry about what, what the Bible says about this. It's fine. That concerns me, of course. But on the other hand, I oftentimes see the church being very harsh and, and judgmental and I would say unduly critical. And it's like we're either affirming what the Bible calls sin or we're upholding different standards, sometimes even wanting to make laws that, that, would, that make life more difficult for, the, for LGBTQ persons. But we don't do the same for adulterers. We don't do the same for people who are looking with lust in their hearts, right? And so it's almost like I want truth for you but grace for me. And we wonder why people look at us and say, y'all are kind of hypocritical, you know? Father, forgive us. Forgive us. I've seen people leave the church because, because we said, God's truth, right? And we don't compromise on that because I'm not here to be a Bible editor, okay? That's not my job. I'm, I'm here just to proclaim God's word. But by the same token, I've seen people leave the church because, and I'm not talking Anderson Hills here. I'm talking my, my past. Um, because they felt dehumanized, ridiculed, or excluded. Not okay with that. That's not love, Right? That's not what God calls us to. And sometimes we say things like, love the sinner, hate the sin. And there's an element of truth there, but it kind of breaks down when I look at the fact that I'm the sinner, right? And still struggling with sin. And it's kind of 
almost a little bit of a condescending position. What if instead I started with love the sinner and hate my own sin? I think I would get a lot further in my growth in holiness. Because our job, I'm going to speak about my life, but my life has been changed by Jesus. Like as I've grown in holiness, it's because I fell more and more in love with Jesus. And I believe that's how the world grows in holiness. It's not by me like yelling at people, right? That, no, I didn't change because anybody yelled at me. I changed because I got to know Jesus and because I read his word and because the Holy Spirit worked on me and it convicted me of my sins and it's still convicting me of my sins and calling me closer and closer and closer to Jesus. So what's my job with the world? It's to proclaim Jesus. It's to introduce him to Jesus. He's the way, the truth, and the life. There's nothing better than that. He's the author of life. He's the one. It's not me. It's him. And, and if people come to know Jesus, I know their lives are going to be changed because I've experienced it myself. And I'm going to be okay with how God works on them just like I'm okay with how God works on me. It's been a process, you know. I'm glad that after day one of becoming a Christian, God didn't give me a list of all the things i got to fix by tomorrow. <laughs> That would be bad news. So we ought to be people of grace and truth. He never compromised truth for me, but he's always treated me with grace too. And it's not either or. There's not grace days and truth days. <laughs> hundred, hundred, right? Full of grace and truth. That's Jesus. That's Jesus. And that, friends, is who we are called to be as well. Full of grace and truth. Let me tell you just a story. I'm going to summarize it quickly. This is a story from the life of Jesus. If any of this has felt awkward, the day, this, this day in Jesus' life was even more awkward, I promise. Because Jesus is teaching, and it's early in the morning, and, and they bring this woman into him, this, this woman who is caught in the act of adultery. Now, there's a bad day right there, right? And to make matters worse, she's caught in the act of adultery by the religious leaders. Oh, gosh, your pastor catching you in the act of adultery. Neither of us want that, Okay. Don't want that, right? And this is what happens this day. So they, they bring her before Jesus, the religious leaders do. And remember, these the religious leaders, they and Jesus are not getting along. They are looking for ways to, to trap him, right? And so they bring her to Jesus and say, Jesus, we caught her in the act of adultery. In case you forgot, the law of Moses says that we stone her, right? Not recreationally. We, we chuck rocks at her until she dies, this is literally what we do. It's brutal. It's violent. It's not pleasant to think about it at all. But the Jewish leaders had a problem because that was what their Jewish law said, but the Romans said, uh, you can't, you can't uh, carry out any death sentences. We're in charge, not you. So they had this tension that they couldn't really live into this, and so they bring Jesus into the midst of this and, and say, what do you say, Jesus? What are we going to do here? If he says, stone her, well, he's in trouble with the Romans. But if he says, let her go, he's in trouble with the Jews. It's a trap. But there's a very obvious problem in this passage, right? Because mathematically speaking, one person cannot commit adultery, right? State the obvious here. There's no guy. Where's the guy? If we caught her in the act of adultery, we'd ought to have a guy as well. And this has led many scholars to believe, I'd, be, I'd align with this, that this is a setup. Likely, we've let the guy go. We set this whole thing up as part of the deal. 
There seems to be a big injustice in the midst of this because the guy's not there. So what are we going to do, Jesus? Well, you remember the story. He doodles on the ground a bit. What was it like to be the woman in that situation? Angry crowd, rocks. You could be breathing your last breath any moment now. You're ashamed. You know you did it. You know you're busted. But also, it just doesn't seem right. It just doesn't seem fair. You're hoping for grace. We get that. Have any of us not been her in one way or another? We've, we've done it. We're caught. We're embarrassed. We're ashamed. And if we get what's coming at us, it's not going to be pretty. We understand that. By the same token, many of us have been sinned against, right? We know what it's like to have others just do horrible things to us. And adultery is a horrible thing. It divides families. Some of you experienced in your parents growing up. Some of you have experienced in your own relationship. And I'm just so sorry that you've been through that. Others of you, you, you know the pain of whether it's that or some other sin. And you know, you know why there's a law. Because this stuff really hurts people. And as you think of her, you say, you know, she should have known better. She should not have done that, right? And we, we need justice. Because if we don't have justice, people are going to hurt me. I don't like it when people hurt me. So, <laughs> yeah, she did it. She chose it. This is how society works. You do the crime, you do the time. What's Jesus going to do? Well, you remember, he bends down, he writes for a bit, he stands up, and he says, verse 7, all right, stoner, but let the one who's without sin cast the first stone. Now, you got to understand, to condemn someone by their law, you had to have two witnesses, okay? It's not just hearsay, whatnot. There had to be two people. So there was at least two religious leaders who had caught her that day. And according to the law, those two come before the people, they offer their testimony, and then the, the powers that be make a decision. And if they condemn her, if she's convicted, the first one to throw the stones are those two witnesses. So you best not be lying, because you're the one who starts the punishment. And Jesus is revealing here what he knows. He knows that even in this act, these witnesses have been sinning. Even this setup itself has been a sin. So, okay, fine. You see the law? Yep, there's the law. Stoner. Whoever's without sin, you start. And we know what happens. They walk away one by one, the oldest to the youngest. Why? Well, the oldest either knew they had sinned more or they at least were more honest about it. Until it's just she and Jesus standing there. And then verse 9. Jesus says this. Give me one more. I thought I had one. Sorry. Uh, Jesus is there with her. And he looks at her. And he says, woman, where are your accusers? Isn't it ironic? She's now standing with literally the only guy in the room who's qualified to chuck a stone. <laughs> where are your accusers? Who's condemning you? Well, Neither do I. Neither do I. 
what would those words have sounded like? Because just a moment earlier, everything seemed mean, right, if you're her, right? And truth without grace often feels very mean, right? When I say truth without grace is mean. It's hardcore. It's how it is. Sorry about your luck. You do the crime, you do the time. But now she gets some grace. Neither do I. But is Jesus done? No. That If we stop it at neither do I, our culture is fine with this passage. It's a great story of grace. Let everybody go. It's fine. It's, sin's not really a big deal. We all sin. It's fine. No worries. That's not Jesus, though. So he says, neither do I. Go and sin no more. Yeah, he, he calls it sin. He's not afraid to. He does it lovingly, but he does it directly. Why? Because truth without grace is mean, but grace without truth is meaningless. Friends, God doesn't ignore sin, and, and we can't either. I'm accountable to God. I'm accountable to you when I hurt you. We need to be a people of grace and truth. Fully grace, fully truth. We cannot let go of truth because sin will ruin your life. And if I just ignore sin and say it's no big deal, I am hurting you because I'm letting you live in something that is just going to hurt you and others and cause so much pain. But if I'm also not gracious, I'm totally missing the point of Jesus' whole existence. Grace and truth. Church, that's who we're called to be. That's who we're going to be. That's who we have been. It's who we're going to be continuing to be, people of grace and truth. Because and is always better than or. So God, thank you for your incredible example of grace and truth. You lived it perfectly for us, Jesus, and I confess that I often don't live it perfectly. So I need your forgiveness. I need your grace. I need your truth in my life. We need it here in our church. Help us to be a people who don't compromise truth because it's your truth, but who also are full of grace that we are so kind and gracious because that's who you are. You didn't come into the world to condemn the world. You came into the world so that the world through you would be saved. And I pray that as we gather at this table, that we would just receive of that grace, that you would just pour it out on us, that this, this, this sacrament would be a channel of your grace into our lives, Jesus, maybe like we've never experienced before. We love you, God of grace and truth.